1: Download the Instacart app today to get
0: free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. Here's Ken Levine.
0: Okay, this is kind of a weird topic. First of all, thank you for being here. I am Ken Levine, your podcast moderator. Now, I have not gotten into a fight. Since I was like maybe 13 years old. But twice as an adult, somebody threatened to beat the crap out of me. And those are two very interesting stories that I thought I would share with you today. And so the topic of the podcast is altercations. And after I tell those two stories, I'm going to share with you some celebrity fistfights that actually occurred, and some of these you will not believe. So, that's this week. Let's get it going. Hollywood and the Vine. Okay, this is a story from my radio past, my checkered career as a top 40 disc jockey back in the 70s, and it is a story that I have never told before. It's kind of one of those stories where it's not as much fun to just write it out for a blog post, so I've been saving it for the podcast, and you're hearing it for the first time. We go back to 1974, and I get my big break, I get hired at K100 Los Angeles, K-I-Q-Q, And at the time, I had bounced around a little bit. I had been in Bakersfield and San Bernardino, and then I moved up. I was in Detroit at WDRQ, and I was in San Francisco at KYA, then in San Diego at KSEA. And I got my big break, L.A. kid, got a chance to go back home and be on the radio in Los Angeles. And not just on any station, this was a station that was owned and programmed by Drake Chenault. Now, Drake Chenault, for those of you who do not know that much about radio, uh, these were the two guys, especially Bill Drake, who were the architects of Boss Radio, KHJ, and a format in radio that pretty much revolutionized Top 40 Radio in the 60s. And there was like a million copycats throughout the country. It had that much of an impact. And... They left KHJ and moved over to the FM to K100. But some of the same big disc jockeys from KHJ, notably the Real Don Steele and Robert W. Morgan, came with them. So I get hired to do nights. I'm Beaver Cleaver from 6 to 10 at night following one of my idols, the Real Don Steele. And one of my other idols was the Morning Man, Robert W. Morgan. And Morgan was very, very funny, and he was also kind of a caustic guy and not the easiest person to get along with. So anyway, I'm working at this radio station, and we have a contest. And the contest is the secret stash. Ten items are in the K100 secret stash. Identify all of them, and you win them. You know, and there were items like a motorcycle and a TV and stereo and a trip to Las Vegas or whatever. You know, there was actually very nice gifts. And we would give clues every day and every hour. We would invite a listener to try his luck and identify all 10 items in the secret stash and very slowly we would get it right. Obviously, it would take uh, a lot of trial and error until eventually somebody would put all of it together and win the secret stash, and the contest usually lasted about a week, a week and a half before we had a winner. So we're doing this contest, and what the station would like is to have... Robert W. Morgan in the morning get the winner because then he's on all of the promos and, you know, it's like a big deal to some of these disc jockeys to be able to have the winner of a big contest, okay? So we're very close. Everybody had nine of the 10 items already and all they needed was that last one. And what they had planned to do is give a clue on Morgan's show, that was a, an absolute giveaway. And so the next hour or the next two hours, sometime within that span, he would have a winner. Well, the night before he was supposed to have this winner, wouldn't you know, on my show, I got the winner. Okay, so I'm on all of the promos. Well, Morgan was pissed he was really really pissed and obviously you know nothing i could do about it but they decided to have secret stash number two and the whole process repeated itself over the course of a week and a half now we're in a situation where nine of the items have been identified we just need one more and again They're going to give the giveaway clue on Morgan's show in the morning so that he can have the winner of the secret stash. And wouldn't you know, just like before, I get the winner. And I have to tell you, usually like, you know, when you're the disc jockey, it's like, oh, my God, yeah, I got the winner. This is really exciting. And my first thought was, oh, fuck. Fuck. I am screwed 17 ways to Sunday because Morgan is going to be really, really pissed. And sure enough, I was on all of the promos for the next week and uh, Morgan was furious. And I found out about this later. He was so furious that he called the real Don Steele. I think uh, Robert had uh, a drinky poo or two. But he called the real Don Steele... And he said, I'm going to go down to the station and beat the shit out of that kid. Now, what is it like when one of your idols wants to beat the crap out of you? And Steele, who liked me, said, what's your problem with this guy? I mean, you know, he's a nice guy. And clearly you have a much better voice. What is your problem with him? And Morgan said a very interesting thing. And just to back up a step, when I would do shows on the radio as a top 40 disc jockey, I never prepared anything. I always just came in and I figured, well, I've got two and a half minutes (laughs) during records to come up with funny lines. And I should be able to come up with at least one funny line in two and a half minutes. So I would just come in and wing it And I would do all of my funny lines. That's the way I've always done top 40 radio from my very first day in Bakersfield to today. If somebody put me on the air, I never prepared a thing. So anyway, Morgan is talking to the real Don Steele and Steele says, what is your issue with him? And Morgan says, because I can't do the things he can do. In other words, the fact that I was more spontaneous, he was very, very funny, but he had to prepare, and I didn't have to prepare, and that really irked him. So now you flash forward a couple of years, and I leave radio full-time. I become a TV writer, and I'm now, along with David Isaacs, one of the head writers of M.A.S.H., And on the weekends, to kind of keep my hand in it, because doing radio is an awful lot of fun when you don't give a shit whether or not they fire you, but I was on the new 10Q as Beaver Cleaver every Saturday night from 6 to 10. And at that time, Morgan, number one, loved MASH, and number two was then at KMPC, which was a big full-service radio station. So in other words, I was no longer a threat to him in any way. And then all of a sudden, he became like my biggest fan. And he would be calling me like two, three times a shift saying how much he loved this bit, how much he loved that joke. You know, he wants to steal something, that sort of thing. Um, And it was great. And Morgan and I became very good friends over the remaining years of his life. But (laughs) those early days were really rugged. And I just heard this story from the guy who was his producer. I really, I, I had never heard this story. 1979, it's now five years after the Secret Stash incident. And Morgan, as I said, was now doing mornings on KMPC. They had a contest similar to The Secret Stash. I don't know what it was they were giving away, but it was the same kind of format. And just like with The Secret Stash, the plan was for Morgan to give it away this particular morning. And so he's at the station. It's like 5.30, and he's preparing. And the all-night guy, Sonny Melendrez, was on the air. And they do the contest, and Sonny Melendres gives away the big prize. And Morgan goes nuts. And apparently he said to his producer, and again, I didn't know this until just a couple of days ago. He said to his producers, fuck, first Ken Levine, and now this. So it is something that he held with him for five years. Years. And I can sort of understand that because in 1992, David and I won a Writers Guild Award and we beat out Larry David and an episode of Seinfeld. We had a cheers that won. And I've known Larry for years and years. And from time to time, I will see him. And within the first 15 seconds of getting together with Larry David, he will make a point of saying, how did you beat me for that Writers Guild Award? I don't understand it. How the hell did you beat me? And, of course, I say to him, Larry, look, just give me 1% of Seinfeld, and I'll give you the plaque. It's all yours. So he remembered. Anyway, that's the story for this week. Hollywood and Levine continues after this. Well, I just had the thrill of my life a couple of seconds ago. Robert W. Morgan called me on the telephone, and boy, that was really neat. Unfortunately, Bob, I don't beaverize anyone, at least not my first couple of weeks, you know. 610, I'm Mr. Cleaver on K100. Number two, 10 things totaling $20,000 in value. And if you can guess what they are, you're going to win them all with one phone call. Another clue is upcoming on K100 Beaver Cleaver. All right, I'm not going to quit until I hear the one clue. two. Man. I was born in a by Beaver Cleaver. Robert W. Morgan truly was one of the greats of the top 40 era. And if you're not familiar with him and you just hear that, you go, yeah, okay. I thought I would play you a sample of his genius. And this actually took place several years later when he had moved on and he was doing the morning show on KMPC in Los Angeles. And he was so quick, even though He didn't think so, even though he felt he needed to prepare. But boy, when the chips were down, he had a brilliant comic mind. Now, one of the features that he had on his show back then was an interview every week with the Los Angeles Rams head coach. At the time, the Rams games were broadcast on KMPC, and so one of the features was the day after a game, the coach would call in, and Robert W. Morgan would interview him. Ray Malavese was the name of the coach. And when Morgan called this particular morning, Malavese picked up the phone but then fell asleep listen to how robert w morgan handled it
1: 20 minutes after seven o'clock now at kmpc robert w along with tom wayman and scott st james and now sponsored by pentax it's time for our daily after the game Pat with coach ray Malabasi head coach los angeles Rams. coach good morning yeah why don't we have the coach why don't we have it here hey coach you there Coach Malabase? I honestly have everybody's looking at me like I got the buttons pushed wrong. Honestly, they're all pushed right. Is the coach shaving in the background there? Or snoring? It's snoring. Hey, coach. <laughs> We'll go back to Coach Malavese in a minute. When don't we wake him up? Hi, Tim. Yeah, a little, uh, little revelry here. Might do the trick. 722 at KFPC as we have our morning after conversation with Grands uh, Head Coach Ray Malavese, sponsored by Pentax. Coach Malavese. Ray? How do you feel about uh, Pat Hayden's performance last night? Apparently, a little rusty after only playing uh, the equivalent of one quarter last year, and uh, coming in with those four interceptions, three of which were overthrown, one a little underthrown in the end zone. There, what's your comment on Pat's uh, performance this morning? <laughs> Regarding the uh, the injury to uh, the uh, to Jeff Rutledge, you've got you got four quarterbacks in camp, and now of course uh, uh, Pat Hayden uh, and uh, and Jeff Camp are the only healthy ones you got. Jeff Rutledge getting hurt last night, and uh, Bob Lee already with the tendonitis in the right elbow. What's uh, what's your comment on the quarterback situation? There's some rumors, Coach. Last night that uh... what time did you get to bed last night, Coach? There's some rumors that Vince Ferragamo was, uh, was in the stands last night. I was wondering if you had any comment on your behalf as to whether or not it's possible for Vince Ferragamo to get out of his Canadian uh, contract and come back down to the NFL. And if, if that's just a wild piece of speculation, is that a possibility? <laughs> All right, Coach, we'll talk to you uh, Friday morning uh, before the Dallas game. and uh, uh, I've got to talk to him Thursday, too. I'm going to be doing the pregame interview. Uh, he ought to be rested by then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was live. Robert W. Morgan, KMPC.
0: The only other time that someone tried to beat me up was uh, back in 1989 when I was a minor league baseball announcer, and at the time I was broadcasting for the Tidewater Tides, and we were the New York Mets' AAA affiliate. Meanwhile, our arch rivals, our hated enemies were the Columbus Clippers because they were the New York Yankees AAA affiliate. And so there was a rather healthy rivalry between the two clubs. So it is a Sunday afternoon and the Clippers are playing a game in Richmond and we're playing some other team at 6 o'clock at night in Tidewater. So we're doing the game. And meanwhile, the Columbus Clippers are on a bus heading from Richmond to Tidewater to begin a three-game series with us. They had played that afternoon, finished their game, and they were en route to Tidewater. So I'm broadcasting the game, and one of the sponsors that we had was the Days Inn at the Military Circle And I used to have these promos saying, Tidewater Tide Baseball brought to you by the Days Inn at Military Circle, the visiting home for the International League. That's where all of the other teams of the league stayed. And so this time I read the promo and I said, well, you know, the Columbus Clippers are coming into town tonight to begin a three-game series tomorrow night here at Met Park. And, you know, maybe it would be a nice thing to do to welcome them to tidewater so why don't you call them up at five o'clock in the morning and uh, welcome them to the tidewater area now i did this thinking of course (laughs) nobody listens to these stupid broadcasts you know no one is actually going to do this so now it's monday afternoon About 3 o'clock and I go out to the ballpark and uh, Terry Smith, who at the time was the announcer for the Clippers, is now the announcer for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, California. But he came up to me and he goes, oh, man, what did you do? What did you do? So what do you mean? He says, oh, the team is really pissed. I said, why? At 5 o'clock this morning, they were getting all these phone calls. Everyone was getting woken up. And I said, really? People did that? Cool! Somebody actually listens to my broadcast? And he said, yeah, well, it's not funny. The team and our manager is really, really pissed. So I said, okay, I'll go down to the clubhouse and do a mea culpa and, you know, see what I can do. And I did. I went down to the Clippers clubhouse and I introduced myself to the manager. I think it was Bucky Dent at the time. And I sheepishly confessed that I was the guy that told people to call them up at five o'clock in the morning, never thinking for a minute that people would actually do it. And the manager was pretty cool about it. He says, you know, we were in the bus and we were driving across the state and I was listening to your broadcast and I heard you do it. And I thought at the time, gee, that's pretty funny. And he said, you know, it's a bit of a practical joke. It may have woken our guys up. Uh, for all I know, they're going to be really angry and they're going to play better uh, this series as a result. So no harm done. So he was cool with it. But the trainer for the Columbus Clippers was not. So when I walked into the clubhouse, he came up to me. And, I mean, he was furious i mean just the veins in his neck were popping out and he was like you motherfucker we're gonna get you god damn it i'm gonna get you and uh i noticed on the schedule that we were gonna go to columbus in week and he says when you come to columbus uh payback buddy payback and i said to him mm-hmm. uh listen uh, let me ask you a couple questions uh, you ever watched cheers And he says, yeah. And I said, do you ever see those practical joke episodes where Cheers is in a practical joke war with Gary's Old Town Tavern? Yeah. I said, I wrote those. You want to get into a practical joke war with me, motherfucker? Bring it on. I will tell you what room I am in in the hotel when we get to Columbus. Needless to say, he backed off, and that was the end of it. But um, those are the only times I can think of in my professional career when someone tried to beat the crap out of me. And I guess, considering how long the career is and considering what a jerk I am, I got off really lucky. Hollywood and Levine continues after this. <laughs> <laughs> Writers rarely get into fist fights. I mean, come on, look at us. But there have been a number of rather improbable celebrity fistfights, and I thought I would mention some of those. I mean, you don't hear about celebrity fistfights on podcasts very often, do you? How about this one? Sinead O'Connor took on Prince... At one time. This is a true story. I guess Prince was upset that she had done a cover version of one of his songs without his approval. And a couple of years later, she was over at his house and uh, words were spoken. And they wound up in a fight. Sinead O'Connor versus Prince. And to answer your next question, Prince beat the crap out of her. Bill Murray and Chevy Chase. Now... You figure, okay, these are two guys on Saturday Night Live, and, of course, Chevy Chase was an asshole, but they never actually were in the cast together. It was actually Bill Murray who replaced Chevy Chase, but Chase came back that season to guest, and apparently over the course of the week, things were bubbling up, and everybody pretty much hated Chevy Chase, and so... He and Bill Murray got into it, and what's interesting about this fight is that it took place moments before the show was supposed to air live. And Bill Murray was the winner of this particular uh, altercation. And credit, though, to Chevy Chase for going out a few minutes later and doing the monologue live on TV. But uh, the winner, TKO, was Bill Murray. Now, Mick Jagger got into a fist fight with a member of the Rolling Stones. And, of course, you just assume it's going to be Keith Richards. No, it was not. It was Charlie Watt. And what happened was after a show and a, a lot of drinking, uh, boy, that's unusual for the Rolling Stones and any rock group for that matter. But apparently, at like, 5 o'clock in the morning, uh, Mick Jagger was like in a suite with a bunch of people and uh, Charlie Watt was in his room sleeping and Mick called him up and said, hey, get my drummer up here. Charlie Watt took offense to that. He got up, showered and went up to the room and just cold cocked Mick Jagger. Apparently it sent him into a plate of smoked salmon, and it was only because somebody grabbed his leg, preventing him from sliding all the way across the table and out the window into a canal somewhere. So uh, Charlie Watt uh, took offense at that, and Charlie Watt said, I'm not your fucking drummer, you're my fucking singer. Here is one that uh, floored me. Jimmy Stewart and Henry Fonda. Okay, now this happened in 1947, and these guys were the best of friends. But apparently, they got into an argument over politics, over Senator Joseph McCarthy. And I don't know who was for him, who was against him, but it wound up where the two had a, a huge fistfight. Henry Fonda was the winner, and apparently, they both were so embarrassed. By the incident, that they made a vow never to talk politics again, and then they went back to being best friends, and they remained best friends for the remainder of their lives. How about this one Chrissy Hind versus Carly Simon? <laughs> I'd go to Madison Square Garden to see that one Chrissy Hind versus Carly Simon. And this happened, it was Joni Mitchell's 52nd birthday. And she was appearing at a small club in New York. And Chrissy Hines, I'm sure, had uh, imbibed a little bit and was really kind of loud and boisterous in the middle of Joni Mitchell's set. And Carly Simon told her to shut up. And uh, Chrissy thought she was kidding and came over and started choking. (laughs) carly simon and the two got into a fight in this case it was chrissy hind who came out on top bill cosby and tom smothers now this happened uh actually in 1976 but it started much earlier When uh, Tommy Smothers was part of the Smothers Brothers show in the late 60s on CBS, remember, it was a cutting edge show and it was very political, talking about the Vietnam War and racial issues, etc., etc. And Tommy Smothers was always very critical of Bill Cosby because Cosby really, at the time, did not take a stand on racial issues and was very public in his displeasure with Mr. Cosby. So now it's years later, it's 1976, and the two of them are at the Playboy Mansion, and Tommy Smothers innocently says to Bill Cosby, hey, congratulations on your show. Well, what he didn't know was that NBC had canceled the show the day before, and so Cosby thought he was dissing him, and here's what Bill Cosby did, and this is so unlike Bill Cosby, right? Well, first of all, you figure he would give him a roofie, but no, he didn't. Here's what he did. He slugged him in the back of the head when Tommy Smothers wasn't looking. There you go. There's another case of Bill Cosby behavior, and finally, John Lovitz and Andy Dick. Now, Andy Dick was truly an asshole. Not only that, but he would also get a lot of people hooked on cocaine. And he got Phil Hartman's wife back on cocaine after she had been off of it for years. And John Lovitz felt that that contributed to Phil Hartman's wife killing Phil Hartman, the murder-suicide. So... John Lovitz has always kind of accused Andy Dick of killing Phil Hartman. And, of course, Andy Dick takes exception to that. Uh, They got into it a couple of years later, and Andy Dick said, Yeah, well, I'm putting the, the next Phil Hartman hex on you which was a rather rude thing to say. So now you flash forward a couple more years, and the two are at the Laugh Factory, which is a comedy club in Los Angeles, and uh, and they get into it about that. But this time, Lovitz had had enough and apparently, like, grabbed Dick's head and just slammed it several times into the bar. There was blood everywhere. And everyone, I'm sure, was cheering because, like I said, Andy Dick is a guy who truly lives up to his name. And so those are some Hollywood Babylon celebrity feuds that turned into fistfights. And with that... We bid adieu to another episode of Hollywood and Levine. Our thanks to Adam and Susie Meister, Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wilford, and Randy Thomas. If you want to get in touch with me for any reason, easy to do. HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. Again, that's HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. And I will, I will, I promise, I will write you back. If you want to follow me on Twitter, at Ken Levine, I will talk to you next week. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.